I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Michael and Jr. That is me. With me, as always, man, one of the freshest fades on planet Earth, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Thank you for noticing. Thank you for mentioning it. Doing well. How are you, Mike? I'm doing well. We uh, got a great show for you guys. I know we say that often. Um, excited. Jason Fitz from ESPN Radio, also college football analyst over there, is going to join us to talk about his beloved Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, the current state of the Texas A&M football program, and a little bit of the Heisman Trophy scene as we get deeper into November with college football and everything else that's going on in there. So excited to talk to Fitzy. He does a great job on the college football show, Rankings Reaction, which is a show him and I used to do together at over at ESPN. Very pumped to talk with him about that. We've got top five, bottom five from the NFL weekend uh, for you and I, as well as a look back at the Eagles game on Monday Night Football. As, spoiler alert, the 72 Dolphins get their wish and another undefeated team bites the dust. But, Brandon, um, before we get to any of that, it it wouldn't feel right to start the show without addressing uh, the unspeakable tragedy that happened yesterday uh, for the folks in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, For anyone that missed it, uh, a former University of Virginia football player was suspected of killing three current football players and wo- wounding two other students on campus late Sunday night. Now, uh, Brandon, the former player accused of the shooting is identified as Christopher Darnell Jones. He was apprehended after the fact. There was a short manhunt around campus as everything was kind of locked down around there. But apparently a group of students in a class had gone to a field trip to Washington, D.C. to see a play as part of a class trip, 
and this tragedy occurred when they returned back from there. The three young men lost were junior receiver Lavelle Davis Jr., junior receiver Devin Chandler, and junior defensive end Deshaun Perry. Uh, Brandon, just horrific news to, to wake up to yesterday to digest. Our thoughts and prayers, our, our love is all going towards that community in Charlottesville, the families of these young men whose lives are now changed forever, the team down there, the guys who are, are dealing with the loss of three of their brothers on that team right now. We love you guys so much, uh, and I know that that doesn't help any of this thing right now, but it's it's the very little thing that we can offer in what I, I have to imagine is one of the more hellish times that anyone in that situation has lived through. It's an unthinkable tragedy, Mike. It's extremely close to home. Another instance of gun violence, and, and obviously there's no rhyme or reason that's going to make this feel better for anyone as we get glued for updates to figure out why, but that's not going to bring these young men back, and it's not going to make this incident it's not going to erase the fact that this incident happened. So in a time where college football has a big microscope on it, uh, it's very, very sad to see that. Well, that and, is some of our peers sad. that are involved in, in, in something as, as a tragedy this heavy. Yeah, I, I think that's certainly part of it is we can't help but see ourselves in this and remember how close you are with those guys and how much time you spend day-to-day -day with these guys. And really, that word brother gets thrown around. That's not an accident. That's not something said lightly. That's the time you spend with these people and the bond that you have there. And uh, these three young people who, by all accounts, man, when you read the things that so many people have been putting out and writing and tweeting that it just sound like three remarkable young men that the world lost far too soon. So uh, again, to the Virginia football family, to their families, to that Charlottesville community, we love you guys. We're thinking of all of you and, you know, anyone, if you know someone around there, make sure you check in, make sure you reach out to those people. Uh, it's unspeakable grief that's happening there right now. Um, Brandon, there's no easy transition into talking about the rest of what we'll talk about on this podcast today, but uh, you know we're we're going to do that. We're going to look and we're going to talk about things that are comparatively of far lesser importance. We'll make sure that this is time stamped in the podcast so everyone's aware that this is coming right off the top, and you know we'll we'll you know get back to the business of what we do around here normally, which is talking about what happened last night. And uh, for anyone that missed it. Philadelphia Eagles and the Washington Commanders played on Monday Night Football. The Washington Commanders won 32-21 in that game and surprised a lot of people, Brandon. As we had gone down the schedule for the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, so many people had looked at different opportunities, different places where they thought, all right, the last undefeated team in the NFL might have a potential slip-up. I don't think anybody had the Commanders pegged for this, but Taylor Heineke and the bunch went out and in part forced the Eagles into as many turnovers in one game as they had had the entire season. There were yep. a ton of penalties in a game that was really marred by officiating in a lot of people's eyes, mine included. But at the end of the day, you also do have to give Washington credit 
they managed to go out there and exploit what is now a weakness in the Eagles' defense that I think will get talked about a lot more because they lost in this game. We did this with the Cowboys coming off the weekend where we looked at that team because they were fresh off of a loss and said, huh, you guys can't really defend the run very well, and that's kind of an issue when your whole identity is running the ball and playing sound defense. We had lauded the defense as the overwhelming strength of that team, but that's a little more in third and medium Plus, when you can turn Micah Parsons and those guys loose on opposing quarterbacks, I think we're going to have a different version of the same conversation about the Eagles. Because while the Eagles' offense is significantly better, Brandon, than what the Dallas Cowboys are trotting out there, you look at the Eagles' defense and whatever rushing metrics you want to pick out there, uh, defensive total rushing expected points added, they are 29th in the NFL. Yards per rush allowed, they are 25th in the NFL, one spot ahead of those said same Dallas Cowboys. Defensive rush success rate, they are dead last in the NFL. And Philadelphia Eagles fans are not surprised by this. They'll tell you that since Jordan Davis, one of their high draft picks out of Georgia, went down, this rush defense hasn't been able to operate the same. But now I think as the rest of us start to digest and look at What's the long-term prognosis for this team on the season? You can identify until Jordan Davis is able to come back a very clear weakness in this team that I'd imagine others are going to be in a pretty good position, especially in the NFC that's full of teams. I heard Dan Orlovsky talking about this on first take the other day. The NFC's full of teams that want to make their living on the ground first, and the Eagles are open for business in that area of the field. Yeah, and I mean, that's how they should be making their money because that's the the road to the Super Bowl. But I think there's a reality to the fact that teams get used to running the ball against the Eagles until they have to go over the top and then they run into a C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Well, they do. The difference was Washington had a Terry McLaurin who was able to go out there and snatch souls for a lot of that night. Like, True. Washington was uniquely positioned, right? Taylor Heineke is just good enough to be deadly in certain spots. Like, got that dog in him, all the things that we say about him. We can have a conversation about what happens now that Carson Wentz is healthy enough to come back next week. And Okay, wait would- a minute. <laughs> before we get there, before we get there, I want to back up and say people didn't expect this from the Commanders. I think people have been paying attention to Monday Night Football games have. So uh, this was tweeted from NFL Research. Last night, Monday Night Football, Ron Rivera became the first head coach in NFL history to defeat an 8-0 or better team on the road twice. The other win from Ron Rivera came in Week 13, 2020, against the 11-0 Steelers, also a Monday Night win. Damn, Pennsylvania, enemies of Ron Rivera. Clearly. And also, those both those wins were to get Ron Rivera to uh, five wins on the season. Uh, now 500 uh, for the current Washington Commanders. The uh, NFC East, the most winningest division in the NFL. Who would have thunk it? The Washington Commanders, who also still are without Chase Young on defense. Like, that's going to come back soon. Right. And be a far more impactful return, likely, than Carson Wentz and whatever he may offer to that team. Because, Brandon, we can go back. The first couple weeks of the season, Carson Wentz put up wild numbers against, I think, the Jags and the Lions. So, we know what that Lions defense is. <laughs> and then after that, they bottomed out. They were a bad record team. Yeah. And I can't see any world where they come back and insert him right back into the lineup. I'm not saying Carson Wentz may not play again this season, but I think you just ride the Taylor Heineke thing until the wheels fall off because you can leave Taylor Heineke in 
until this thing gets bad. And then I think justifiably and understandably for a lot of people, put Carson Wentz back in. If you put Carson Wentz back in and things start to go bad, it's not that you can't pull him. It's just that you're already a team with a low Q rating who has the eyes of your fan base on you in the most negative way possible because of your owner. The last thing you want to do is go out there and put Carson Wentz in immediately when things finally went well for you in the division. And when Taylor Heineke had been playing well enough in this stretch, they put up all those stats about him being 9-9 nine and nine in his career and what he's done relative to the other quarterbacks of that franchise but I just don't see how you put what we know of Carson Wentz in 2022 automatically back in the lineup based on what you've seen this season well I guess it depends on who you're believing uh, from those reports back in the day was Carson Wentz to the commanders a Daniel Snyder move or was it a Ron Rivera move because Ron Rivera was standing on the table uh, screaming that he was the one that wanted Carson Wentz to be with the Washington Commanders. And now it seems like he said he's going to make a decision after watching this game. Uh, Troy Aikman, the the champion of the NFC East, he's always ready to tell everyone who the quarterback should be starting. And he's already uh, crowned Taylor Heineke. I've been crowning Taylor Heineke for a very, very long time. But I do think there is a benefit to having Carson Wentz out there. It seems like there may be – maybe the other wide receivers – have a better connection with Carson Wentz and Heineke's connection really is just with McLaurin? Yeah, you know, uh, again, it's about how you're going to define yourself as a team, though. And with Carson Wentz, you know it's going to be a roller coaster. There's nothing steady about that. At this point, we know too much about him to expect otherwise. Whereas with Heineke... It's not to say that you'll be without mistakes. We saw some of those. There were turnovers for both teams in that game last night. Yeah, But... Carson Wentz, we know how volatile that can be. We also saw the officiating all over the place in this game. Miss face mask on one of the Eagles turnovers that should have been called. Um, A pick play that was called on the Washington Commanders after that that I just think was a makeup call. And then at the end of the game, you have Taylor Heineke on third and a mile with the Eagles having used their timeouts who would have gotten a possession back after this, going and taking a knee, getting hit by Brandon Graham and another Eagles defender who were trying to pull up at the end of that one. I sympathize with those guys trying to pull up, couldn't with the momentum, end up hitting them by the letter of the law. It's a penalty. It sucks, and we saw and heard way too much from the officials in that game last night. So that's going to leave everyone with a bad taste in their mouth, Brandon, but not as bad as this. So the 72 Dolphins, like we mentioned off the top, get to pop champagne. And at Chan, uh, Chansey Danger on Twitter tweeted at me, I don't think there's a story I hate more in sports than the annual 72 Dolphins one. And so it got me thinking, do you have like a recurring sports story that we hear every year that you dislike? Because for me, it's Bobby Bonilla Day. I understand that it was a very good contract. I understand the circumstances that went into it. Hell, I even understand that maybe my bias comes as a person who works in sports and has to live this every year. Mm-hmm. Prudent financial planning is awesome. Turning it into a holiday that we have to talk about just because we're bored in the summer during sports talk radio season every year is not the thing that lights the fire within me. So I could do without it. Yeah, yeah, I feel you, Mike. I think I'm with I'm with this person that tweeted at you. It's the, it's the, it's the undefeated Dolphins that really the 72 Dolphins that really does uh, get under my skin and get in my craw because it's not the same football. And I, I and I I don't even understand. Like, do you think? We should ask your dad. I guess they do care about this. This. 
Oh, that they care very much. Mercury Morris and those dudes, we see every year them popping bottles and loving up on this. Um, I'll give you a few other ones. Uh, my buddy Travis Rockhold says the Pete Rose Hall of Fame argument that comes up every summer. True. The Pete Rose one is the one that sucks. I will enjoy every year going to bat for Barry Bonds, or I did enjoy every year going to bat for Barry Bonds and the steroid era guys. Um, Pun intended. Kurt, Mo- uh, Kurt Moody said, uh, "Did you know Matthew Stafford and Clayton Kershaw were high school teammates?" That one gets beaten into the uh, beaten into the ground in every broadcast booth. Shannon uh, brought up one recently: Mattress Mac and the coverage that he gets for insurance, po- oh, essentially man. his insurance policies uh, every year. Bullshit. Um, what else do we have here? Um, Jordan versus LeBron, the Falcons blowing leads, um, Jordan versus anyone, the goat conversations, and most people just hate summer sports talk radio, which again, (laughs) fair, I get it. You should see the call. We did it as a test one day where we wanted to do this and say, how many people can we bait into the LeBron Jordan debate? We did not want to have it sincerely. We told people, we're joking. We do not take this seriously. Who's better, LeBron or Jordan? Our phone lines were lit up and full for the next two hours. It is I mean, it's, It is the purest form of sports talk drugs. I mean, yes, it is the... Uh, if you're if we're talking online, I guess that that debate is online as well. But it's the it's the debate about interracial relationships online uh, on the shade room. Like you you throw a mixed couple on on the, on the screen, everybody's got an opinion. Let's talk about it. Let's let's talk about it at Gojo Show on Twitter. What is your most hated recurring sports story or statistic or bit of information? Uh, we'll get to plenty more of those as we go. But Brandon, it is Tuesday around these parts, which means it is top five, bottom five from the NFL weekend Ooh. that was. Um, I have the top five things this week, and they can be plays, they can be people, they can be anything. You have the bottom five for this week. Uh, for anyone that's new here, we alternate starting with number five on the bottom five and go up and down from there. So, Brandon, you got the bottom five. You want to kickstart us this week? Absolutely, Mike. I just want to pull it up here on my screen so I know what I'm reading here. You know, we, we have this, like, off the top of our dome, but we actually do do a little bit of research, and I'm going to prove it by saying this. Number five, my bottom five in the NFL is George Kittle and how how seldomly he's been targeted since the Christian McCaffrey trade, Mike. Wow, he, you're he, trying to pit them against each other? I, well, I'm just I'm just looking at the analytics, Mike, and the, the uh, reporters are talking to him about it. I know George Kittle said that he doesn't mind as long as they're winning games, which I guess they're doing right now because they're playing the – the Rams and the Cardinals and and people like that. But anyways, George Kittle has been targeted seven times since the 49ers traded for Christian McCaffrey. Seven times. It's a travesty. He's one of the highest paid tight ends. He is one of the best blocking tight ends in the NFL. Jimmy G needs to do a better job of utilizing all of his God-given white weapons and uh, or else he might lose them. I mean, what? He's only got two white weapons. Well, I guess three counting juice check, yeah. Okay, yeah, Juice Jack, who's, who, who had a had a touchdown in that Super Bowl. Let's not forget. Incredibly I, diverse I, I, I offensive want some money skill on that. room. Incredibly diverse offensive skill room uh, there. Yes. 
No white wide receivers, so New England's not that jealous, but they're a little jealous, and that's what matters. Um, <laughs> Brandon, uh, number five in the top five, I want to go with the fans at the game in Germany between the Seahawks and the Bucks. That crowd was lit up, man. I know uh, Germany I, apparently has a large concentration of NFL fans over there that was played in one of the Bundesliga stadiums, but complaints about the field over there aside, and I saw some guys talking about that on the trip back over, the crowd there was electric, and... A group of German fans singing Country Roads during some of the play stoppages as like them. That is, I always say when people talk about like branding and stuff or people ask like what you should, you know, how you differentiate when they ask us questions about our jobs. I'm like, you got to pay attention to what people throw back at you, like what Mm. people expect or think of you and tell you about what they like expect from you content wise. The fact that they are burping back Country Roads at America as this is what we think you're culture is is hilarious and perfect i mean that and sweet caroline don't let them find out about uh bon jovi and and, and you two hey, dude uh, honestly, have they got mr Brightside yet because they'll really ooh. unlock the game well i i think i think it's been i've enjoyed these international games especially this season because it is helping american fans get in the lab and realize what they need to do better and we need to sing more as a unit like there needs to be more crowd singing songs as a whole uh, for football games, Mike. And I think uh, the international crowd is is getting us started with that. Obviously, Sweet Caroline was the, with the London games and things like that. And Tom Brady mentioned it in his presser and his post game presser. I think it is important. We need to be singing off key together because I feel like that is a, a spiritual moment. Well, and like during and in between play, like we've got it in very sanctioned yes. moments. I see it in college football games every weekend. Every stadium plays Sweet Caroline or something like that in between quarter breaks and very clearly cut and defined times. In European football, they're singing all the damn time over there during the games, and it makes the atmosphere electric. I guess Country Roads is also something that gets sung in Oktoberfest a lot over there. There's like a tie-in hmm. with that that made it kind of germane to German culture. But uh, yeah, number five on the list there. Go off, German fans. I think uh, what what other give me one more American song that you think a uh, uh, international crowd would think sing? I would think American Pie is probably a good one. I I would actually it would make me laugh a lot if we could get uh, international crowds to swag surf. Well, that's the problem with the, our crowds here currently, Mike. I, the swag surfing needs to stop amongst the uh, the people from the Caucasus Mountains, but. Uh, that is that is interesting. I, what about if, like uh, Curveball? Who let the dogs out? Oh, man, it's what's dead. What's dead can never die. <laughs> they already got a kind of accent. Actually, I had this as my number three, bottom five, but I'm gonna move it to my four for continuity sakes. Tom Brady's stubbornness as he attempts another trick play uh, during this game in Germany, where Leonard Fournette throws a pick uh, while Tom Brady Tom Brady slides to the ground. Now, to be fair. Tom Brady was feeling all the feels because I feel I don't know what the nationality. I don't know what Tom Brady's 23 and me is, but I have a feeling German is, is somewhere in there. And uh, shout out to Julio Jones getting the first Germanic touchdown. Uh, he looks like a black German to me. Uh, I, I loved all the things going around there, but he has very sharp features, Mike. Um, uh, he looks like Guile, like a black Guile, which I think Guile is probably German uh, from Street Fighter. <laughs> but anyways. 
What the hell is Tom Brady thinking? Trying no, to catch what the a hell pass. is Tom Brady thinking? What's Byron Leftwich thinking calling that play? Because you saw, Brandon, you saw it happen in real time. They motioned Tom Brady out in a wildcat play, and everyone in the broadcast is joking, look it, they're not covering him out there. This is incredible. And apparently the Buccaneers sideline internalized that and go, oh, we got these motherfuckers now. <laughs> Tom's Tom's going Tom's going to get a, a three yard reception, like Tom Brady slipping on that. It was all so bad. Shades of the Indianapolis Colts' worst punt fake of all time. This is that. It is already oh, up yes. in that air off jump. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, obviously they're they're playing the Geno Smith forty uh, the the San, uh, Seattle Seahawks, and I had a feeling Geno Smith's magic wasn't going to travel. It wasn't international. It's domestic only. So. Bucks, Bucks turned it around. No, the Bucks did turn it out around in a big time way. Um, they, uh, you know, get a good win there, but just my God, at what cost when you have a play like that on tape? Now, at least when you win, you can watch that in film session and everyone can have fun. I don't know how comfortable the rest of that team is with giving Tom Brady shit about stuff, but hopefully he'll make a joke about it first so everyone can get the experience of clowning him because they deserve it because that was, yeah. uh, that was some wild boy shit. Um, Number uh, four on my list, Brandon, uh, Tua Tungavailoa. Like, there's all sorts of articles right now about Tua and the job that he's done this season. At this point, uh, according to Next Gen Stats, he leads the NFL in expected points added per drop back. Um, he is second in completion percentage over expectation. He's got a bunch of counting stats there as well. He's been ridiculous. And as we talk later in this week, I'm sure about the MVP race in the NFL right now. Especially after what happened on Monday Night Football, I am sure that we are going to wake up in a world where everyone is talking about, well, now it is Tua and Patrick Mahomes, 1A and 1B in the MVP race here. I would be voting Mahomes at this point, but right now, because Josh Allen lost and because Tua lost, that's as simple as the MVP conversation is for most of us at the top level, and that's what it's going to, I'm sure, be framed as. Mike, as someone who continues to doubt or... Uh, I don't believe my eyes when I'm watching Tua play because those balls still look a little behind the receivers unless they're perfectly in the end zone. I, I Listen, I'm going to stop talking about it. I'm going to stop talking about it because I think I, I saw somewhere it said, if you're hating on Tua at this point in time, you're just being stubborn. And I know when I am being stubborn, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remove myself from that. I'm going to just sit back, enjoy, and watch this Apparently, uh, uh, the best accurate quarterback in the most accurate quarterback in the NFL is Tariq Hill says. Yeah, listen, two is extremely accurate. His downfield passing numbers have drastically improved, which is always the knock on him. At some point, we can have the conversation. If you get into some of the next gen stat stuff, there's a lot of wide open receivers down the field, which is why Tyreek Hill is a name that's also I've heard been mentioned in the MVP mm. conversation because of mm. what he affords you from that standpoint. But two is rightly in that discussion here. He's earned it at this point. We're a long ways into the season. He's number four on my list. What do you got for number three, Brandon? Okay, well, number three, uh, bottom five was the backup quarterback battle against the Arizona Cardinals and the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, shout out to Colt McCoy doing his thing, getting the Rams back on track as a starter. It's a, it is just what Colt McCoy does. Um, but the game is in the bottom five, Mike. The Rams are after losing five of their last six games. And also, Cooper Cup, Super Bowl MVP, gone after an injury. Uh, and, and I really don't see where the Rams can look for 
Now he avoided, to be he avoided the worst possible thoughts of that injury. It sounds like he's going to miss time, but I don't think it's a season ender. Right, which is which is good, which is good. But he he still needs someone to throw it to him, and uh, I think Matt Stafford, he'll be back as well. But it's just the Rams Super Bowl hangover. It's real. Oh no, it's a hundred percent real. It's, I mean, there we've talked about some of the teams like with the Bucks and the Packers. The Rams are ones actually because of the amount of injury they've sustained and how much that's regressed. Especially now that Cooper Cup's hurt, that that's done. Especially the division they play in, yeah. that's you know we, we can wave bye bye to that. The Ram season is effectively over as far as us having to reckon with that. You did mention though, uh, we got Trace McSorley in that game too, which reminds me of one yes. of my favorite tweets of all time by college football writers. Spencer Hall. There is no weird college football Twitter. It's divided into three camps. One, casual fascist. Two, actually deranged. And three, Penn State fans tweeting things like, Trace McSorley, kill me with a shovel, daddy. So, uh, that is what I think of every time I hear Trace McSorley's name. Um, Brandon, Number three uh, on my list, we talked about it a lot yesterday, Christian Watson, his coming out party for the Green Bay Packers, three-touchdown yes. day, uh, exceptional outing, four th- three touchdowns on four receptions in that day, finally giving the Packers the big play explosiveness that they've been searching for all season long. Yes, and we won't talk about the two that he dropped uh, before he caught those other four because <laughs> it's about how you end and not how you start. Exactly. The good outweighed the bad in that situation. So we'll give him that credit. Number three on the list. What do you got for number three or number two, Brandon? Yes. It's coming in number two, bottom five, uh, talking about how you finish. Russell Wilson. Talking about how you finish. <laughs> uh, you had a weirdly sexual podcast yesterday, by the way. Like, start to finish, like, you were way too horny. Maybe someone had sex this weekend. Uh, but, anyways. Uh, <laughs> Russell Wilson, <laughs> after the Tennessee Titans beat the Denver Broncos 17 to 10, Mike, uh, beat up offensive line. I think Russell Wilson had their third starting center uh, at one point in time during the game, uh, backup tackle as well. Even though he's a future Hall of Famer, his present is quite nasty. He was sacked six times in this game, hit 20. And uh, I don't know. I know Walmart uh, has a pretty good return policy. I wonder what it is for Russell Wilson. Probably going to be a lot harder to come by because I think most of the stuff that they're ret- getting returned doesn't cost a quarter billion dollars. So right. in-store that. credit. I don't know what, what type of in-store credit you get. With, <laughs> Could you with imagine Russell Wilson? that's that's the worst version of um, Brewster's Millions? You can inherit oh, twenty-five yes. million dollars in a day, but you've or twenty two hundred fifty million dollars, but you've got to or no, you can inherit two hundred and fifty billion dollars, but you've got to spend two hundred and fifty million in a day at Walmart. <laughs> uh, Mike, if we can get Sierra to perform there, that might cover some of it. <laughs> I I I tried so hard <laughs> to force that Brewster's Millions reference in there so poorly just now. It's unreal. I thank you for playing along, but it did not work or make sense. It's what we do. Yes, and yes, and what do you got next? <laughs> uh, number two on my list. Very easy here. Jeff Saturday. Uh, we will talk to Jason Fitz about yes. the tailspin that this has sent uh, Las Vegas Raiders fans into. You have on the other side of this the dreaded vote of confidence for head coach Josh McDaniels coming from Mark Davis, who literally cannot afford to fire him. So uh, Jeff Saturday uh, has the haters furious right now. Number two on the list. 
And number one in the list, Mike, this may be a, a all-time handoff to our guest. And shouts out to Fitz. The Raiders. Forcing Derek Carr to cry because they're so fucking bad. We talked about it yesterday. It really is sad. You can talk about the the uh, Josh McDaniels and or all that stuff, but it's just the Raiders themselves. They were better with John Gruden <laughs> and Antonio Brown. Like, think about all of the shit the Raiders had to weather and what Derek Carr pulled them through last year. You can go back and read and read all of that, like the horrific stuff surrounding Henry Ruggs, everything yes. surrounding John Gruden's emails, and Derek Carr managed to pull them through that and get that team to the damn postseason. And now this. That is impressive. And I understand they can't and won't fire Josh McDaniels, but I just don't know what there is to inspire a lot of hope around there. And that I, is... I want to give credit to Derek Carr, but they made the playoffs by beating the Chargers. So, and it was, you know. It was the happiest I've seen Jason Fitz in quite some time. Number one on the list is very easy. The catch, Justin <laughs> Jefferson, resetting all of our brains yes. and what we believe is good and right in the world of impressive catches. It got even the world's foremost catch hater, Brandon Newman, to be impressed. Brandon, who comes in every week as guys like George Pickens do, incre do incredible acrobatic feats to get the ball into the end zone or near the end zone and poo-poos it left and right. Even Brandon was like, yeah, that shit was raw. Best catch I've ever seen in my life, Mike. I thought about it yesterday. I was like, I didn't say it on the podcast. It's the best catch I've ever seen in my life. I know everyone is saying that, and they should say it, but the game of the week almost feels secondary to the catch of the – I don't know. Oh, let's put it this way. I have, I have an issue that it's another LSU wide receiver that, that has the, the, the oh, next yeah. one, but, but still. Oh, man. Ohio State in shambles right now in the wide receiver U conversation. Wow. Um, Brandon, uh, I will I will say this. Um, after long after that game is coming past, the catch will be the one that's remembered. No one's gonna remember a game that was played in Week Ten of the NFL, even between two games. They'll remember the fact that Justin Jefferson had that catch. So you're right; that catch far transcends the game of the year by far, by far. Oh, thank, I thought I thought you were. I thought you no, were, I was agreeing I thought, with you. Yeah, overwhelmingly yeah. here. We're on the same page on that. That is top five, bottom five from this NFL weekend. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, ESPN radio host and college football analyst Jason Fitz is going to cry about the Raiders and talk about the Heisman with us. I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. 
I don't want it lost that you go to Alta to get your, you go to a makeup store to get your hair cut. Yeah, 100%. Well, because I met her at uh, at Sport Clips. Like, when we were doing Go Look and Wingo together, I met her at Sport Clips. And then she left Sport Clips, and she went to this weird salon right by your old house that was, like, sort of offset. Um, you, could walk a, you could walk to Donut Crazy from where this salon was. It was in the hmm. bottom of a building over there. And, um, and she worked for, like, this really, really weird... Um, like just, just weird. Like, I mean, I, I, I don't know, guy, girl, I don't know where they were in the process, but like, uh, you know, I, I think male dressed as a female, but maybe transitioning. I don't know. And they were like ripping her off and she wasn't making any money, but I followed her there. Cause I was like, heck, this is close to my house. And then one day she's like, yeah, I'm leaving to go to the Alta in West Hartford. And I'm like, well, that's five minutes from my front door. So like she cuts me a deal. She gives me the, uh, the, the old Sarika price, not the new Sarika price. So I'm, I'm walking in, like they all know me. I walk into Alta. They're like, hey, Jason, every every two weeks, walking right in there. So you have followed your haircut person from three different salons now. Yeah, she did one little part-time thing too. So four, four, I've, uh, four different chairs I've sat in. But, you know, like we're we're good enough that when I did that Dodge Ram commercial for with Streisky, uh, they didn't tell us when we were leaving till like a day before. And I texted her, I was like, is there any way you can get me in? And she was like, ah, just come by my apartment because she lives right down the road. She's like, I'll cut your hair here. I did. Went over to her place. She cut my hair. I was out. Like, I was like, this is amazing. So like, yeah, she, she's she's my girl. Is, I got her on call. This is probably the thing you have most in common with the modern professional athlete is having someone on standby to cut your hair if need be. You know, that's the that the amount of music people that take somebody out that just trims your hair every few days to make sure it looks perfect. Like I definitely like the thing of it is, as it gets as it grows out, especially, you know, now as it grows out, you can see some gray coming in on the sides, pretty hot and heavy. So, like, I got to keep this shit short. That way nobody knows, you know, like you keep it, you know, you keep it because, you know, like this, this is actually grown out. I'm gonna go get a cut, you know, a couple of days. The sides end up looking like yours, but she gets that high fade and then it's like, and then, and then all of a sudden, boom. I'm trying to combine your head with Marty Smith's head every single day. I have the, my hair grows in like Paul Feinbaum's at this point, almost exclusively on the sides. And then it's a bad <laughs> fairway up top. So I uh, <laughs> only know what you're talking about in this area of my head here. Um, that's amazing. by the way, Jason. So your loyalty on the haircut uh, space extends into your sports life. I want to talk about a lot of college football with you. This is more of a wellness check though. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, like a lot of us, you are thrilled for our former colleague, Jeff Saturday, to go out and have succeeded in week one of his NFL head coaching tenure. It just happened to come at the expense of the team that you love more than most things in this world. So how you doing, bud? Yeah, you know, the funny thing is I text Jeff right after he got the job, and I was like, man, I'm so happy for you. And starting on Monday of next week, I'm going to root for you so much. And he responded like a day later, but he's like, A, I appreciate this text. B, I appreciate the fact that you're always on brand. And uh, so I texted him last night and I said, I hate you, but I'm happy for you. So, uh, you know, I, it's, it's alarming. But here's the, the best way I can sort of put into words what I've seen this year from the Raiders. Like, uh, you know, Mike, I, I always look back at my years as a fiddle player. And I was like, there's something I did really well. I was a really good, like, modern country rock pop fiddle player, right? Like, that was my my roots. I'm not a good bluegrass fiddle player. Mm. And if you had put me in a bluegrass band, I'd have been terrible. And in fact, like one of the gigs I was offered before I linked up with the band Perry was, uh, was, uh, Dirk Spentley. And so Dirk's band leader calls and is like, Hey, we need a flat picking, which is the, uh, like a type of acoustic guitar that you play. That's real, 
the blue guy said, we need a flat pick acoustic player that can crush on fiddle. I just played with somebody else. They saw me. They were like, you can have the gig if you want it. And I was so broke, I couldn't afford dog food. And I said no to the gig because I knew if I took the gig that I wouldn't be a good fiddle player. And the one thing I never wanted to do was be out on the road and be bad at what I did. And it turned out that that, that ultimately the person that took that gig opened up the gig that eventually got me to the band Perry. So like I use that story a lot with kids about like, hey, make a business plan, be good at what you're good at. But I thought about that watching the Raiders because I feel like I'm watching a bunch of bluegrass players or like rock country players try and play bluegrass. Like it is not a fit at all. And Derek Carr looks wildly confused. The offensive line looks confused. Nothing looks easy. And I just keep thinking you can have a great system and you can have great players, but that doesn't mean you have great players for the system you run. So I don't know if it's Josh McDaniels just being bad at play calling this year or the Raiders being bad at understanding, but like they are not meshing together. So like not every, I thought this would be a Reese's peanut butter cup. And instead it's two food things that I like a lot that don't belong together. And I don't know what fixes that easily. Like that's the weirdest, the wildest thing for the uh, longest answer ever, but the wildest thing for the back half of this season, think about this. Uh, Harry Douglas once said that when you go into to meetings, the, his offensive and defensive coordinators at the time for the Falcons always put, they put dog stickers up. Who's that dog? Who do you have to worry about on the other side? The Raiders have defensively, I would argue, one and a half dogs. That's Max Crosby and Nate Hobbs when he's healthy. They got one and a half dogs. Offensively, they've got four or five. But yeah, that means that you have 15, 16 holes to fill. And like that's when you start thinking of it that way, like you can go out and get a quarterback with the number two pick in the draft right now. They would have the number two pick. Cool. You go out and get a quarterback. That quarterback's still going to have to figure out how to play behind an offensive line that's not very good and a defense that's wildly incapable. So like, I don't know what the right strategy is. I just know that when you're this bad, you're really looking at two or three years of player acquisitions where you got to hit home runs to get right. That's man. That's that's scary. I think the most surprising part of this, because this last week, like, Perfect storm, right? Darren uh, Darren Waller goes on IR. Um, you've had uh, Hunter Renfro on IR too. And Devontae Adams still should have been good enough to beat this year's Colts team in the situation that they've been in over the last couple of weeks. But I think in general, that confusion you talk about is surprising just because so much of Josh McDaniels and the glow up that got him back to this, I think was about his late career in New England where you had those couple of seasons post Tom Brady where you were adapting an offense to Cam Newton in a very different skill set. You went back and then did that same thing with Mac Jones. You had had this idea that, okay, in a world where it's not just we have the greatest quarterback and the most accomplished quarterback of all time, I can go out there and do that the way so many of my predecessors had. I was there for the hard part, and we still managed to go out here and put things on tape that were defensible and adjust to a totally different quarterback. I think that's why I'm most surprised by the way that you assess this team. Yeah, and what's wild about all of that is that I think the best of Derek Carr comes from when you see Derek Carr come up to the line of scrimmage. And I've asked Mina and Orlovsky both to try and figure out what they – they don't see Mina's answer was the play calling just hasn't been good enough. But I, I'm used to watching Derek Carr walk up to the line of scrimmage and start barking. And, and he's he's calling everything out because he knows what he sees. He knows what he's identifying. He does a really good job of that early in games, particularly part of why the Raiders over the years have played well, I think, in first and third quarters. Like he walks out and says, OK, I know what I'm looking for in this situation. I got an understanding. I'm watching Carr now break up to the line of scrimmage late out of the huddle look around, not say anything, and then take the snap. Like It's like he doesn't have a lot of freedom there or he doesn't have a lot of understanding. He's not dissecting anything. He seems confused. And so it's going to be wild because 
I don't know. Like if you'd have asked me a month ago, I'd have told you Will Anderson, clearly one of the best players in the draft, right? Like I don't think it's a terrible strategy to say, all right, you know, you trade down to get a bunch of players because you need five or six to, yeah. to help you. I don't know. But it's going to be interesting to see if Carr and Josh don't mesh this year. You're going to have to trade them. And, yeah. you know, in a world where Vegas has no real connection with their community, you better be a really good football team because nobody's going to come to a rebuilding team. So I, I don't know how they're going to handle patience versus, you know, uh, trying to figure out the right way to build this long term. Well, I think to your point, if it if it's not working out like this, clearly, you probably got to strip it down into the studs and say, hey, we have the financial out with Derek Carr after this season. We've got to just hit a hard reset and understand it's going to be a lot worse before it gets better. Because at this point, too, you look internally like I just saw um, Deshaun Reed over at The Athletic tweeted out that apparently McDaniels had Cleland Furl, Matthew Butler, and Neil Farrell all suspended due to an in-house matter that wasn't football related for this last game. So it also sounds like that sounds like rubber meat in the road in some uncomfortable ways inside the building. Yeah. Well, and Carr, you know, in tears at his press conference, talking about the fact that not everybody's buying in Devonte Adams talking about the fact that not everybody's buying in. There's been a lot of conversation about not everybody cares to the same level, which is weird. And Tashawn wrote something in the athletic and I try to read between the lines when he got guys covering I thought it was interesting. He wrote, you know, that they're trying to get a relationship with the players, but longer practices, longer meetings, and the organization scouring your social media isn't helping. Well, that that was a very out-of-the-blue statement that I've never seen in anything in writing before, which to me means somebody is telling him, like, man, they're just tired of the way everything's going down there. And, and like, those are the little nuances that you're like, ah, I don't know how you well, fix that. this is also the Patriot way. Like... You look most recently, the Joe Judge era in New York sounded like long days and hard hours, and you didn't have the wins on the backside to necessitate that. And that's the one thing I don't know, is you only know inside the building with these Patriot guys is who's coming in. Like, the one thing I'll, I'll say for Jeff Saturday walking into the situation he did, everything we've heard publicly is about the team, right? You guys have been through a lot. You guys earned this. You deserve this. There's that idea where we've heard in the past a lot of Patriot assistants have walked in and felt like they are owed Belichick-level respect without having accomplished Belichick-level things on their own. I don't know if that's the case, but it sounds like all of those things you just described are tenets of things you can get away with in New England when you're promising people a ticket to the playoffs every year versus right now when you're not netting results on the early end, and now it's just frustrating. Now, it's not going to be for everybody, and yeah, the best players on the team appear to be bought in, which is a good start. Locker rooms are big. You're never going to have everyone all on the same page, but it does sound like some of that Patriot way friction based on what you're describing. Well, and the craziest thing to me is fans always scream, fire the coach, to which I would remind <laughs> everybody, Mark Davis was the one that hired this coach. So if you own a restaurant and you hire the worst chef you've ever hired in your life, why are you finding a better chef next time? I, I don't know the answer to that. Well, so I, I, and also you have to be able to afford the next chef coming in. And as you've oh often God, pointed yeah. out to me, this is not a Raiders franchise that has deep pocketbooks with Mark Davis at the helm. A hundred percent. Like uh, all of this. So now you're going to pay out full guaranteed contracts for the next, uh, there's three years left on Josh's deal. You're going to pay that out and you're going to pay another coach roughly what, 10 to $15 million to come in. And we have no idea what was paid out or what isn't being paid out out of the John Gruden contracts also. So like, yeah, no, there, there's no way. I mean, there's no way in my mind. 
Uh, that's obviously, a, you know, good to, good to see you're at least upright and surviving through all this. Uh, at this oh, point, I, I'd imagine you're just dead inside right now, which is great. So numb. Yeah. We've reached the numbness spot, you know, so it's good. It's, it's good. It's fine. I'm fine. It's fine. Comfort- yeah. Comfortably numb. Well, in addition to being, uh, ESPN's foremost, uh, Raiders fan also shout out to Randy Scott on that front as well. Um, Jason Fitz, you guys can also catch him on the College Football Show, Rankings Reaction on the ESPN socials, co-host of Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, and gambling writer for ESPN.com, the Bucket of Tears rating system. Fitz, did anyone top the Bucket of Tears for your own Raiders this week? Uh, I don't know that there was a lot that actually topped it because that one was pretty brutal, but uh, it has been wild this year. Like the, the best thing about writing for Chalk is that you see these weird endings to games constantly. And the number of times we've seen, you know, fourth and one that means nothing to everybody, but it means everything to somebody is uh, is is pretty crazy. That's the most fun part about it. Saturdays are chaotic, though. The amount of, uh, you know, yeah, the I think it was Mississippi State that had the punt return at the end of the first half that covered for the first half. And so it's like just when you think everything's safe, it's not safe, and you got half the room sort of yelling about it. So it's been pretty it's been pretty interesting in that sense, just seeing how many stupid, crazy endings there are. I, I this is uh, I want to get back to that in a second, but just as I mentioned Randy Scott's name, it is Taylor Swift Ticketmaster email day right now, and not. 30 seconds after I mentioned Randy being another Raiders fan like you, I get a text from Randy that says, my brother in Christ, any luck. So we are all out here fighting the good fight, trying to get to this Taylor Swift concert. Oh, some of us don't have to fight because we know people. (sighs) That's fine. Some of us will be talking after this podcast because I am desperate (laughs) and well-funded right now. Oh, man. We are getting to see Taylor Swift. But you talked about the chaos of college football from the gambling sense. You sit around and watch all these games all weekend. You, AJ McCarron, Scooby McGuess, all these guys that you work with there spend Saturdays locked in a room watching college football. As far as things that were surprising to you from this weekend, what was the biggest or most impactful takeaway from this past weekend on the college slate? The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. So there were three outcomes that I think had me scratching my head, but one of them has the most meaning. I mean, A&M 
laying down again to Auburn with Cadillac Williams as a coach and Jimbo just looking absolutely incompetent. Like, look, I don't know what time you get up for work or what time you go to bed when you have a $90 million buyout, but it, it, I got to believe that Jimbo's living like I would if I had a $90 million buyout. He's getting up at about one thirty, taking a bunch of edibles and then going back to bed at noon, like at, at two in the afternoon. Like, it's got to be that. That's about the only thing because th- that team looks ill-prepared for everything, which is wild to me. Kentucky blowing it uh, to Vandy. Vandy getting their first SEC win since 2019, I thought was huge. But the biggest outcome, consequence-wise, was Oregon, right? Like, yeah. And it's crazy because we were trying to make a case for Bo Nix as a Heisman candidate, and in order to do that, I think Oregon really needed that win. Oregon needs to represent the Pac-12. Like, There's this weird situation going on where the Pac-12 was given all the runway you could ask for. The committee gave value to UCLA. They gave value to USC. They gave value to Utah. All Oregon had to do was take care of business and they'd be fine. So to come out in that game and not be able to pull that one out, I understand that the analytics say that the fourth down attempt in your own territory was not a bad move, but we have the benefit of seeing the results. So now everybody's going to question it because that play takes you out of playoff contention. Yeah, man, it's... It's tough on a lot of those fronts. The Jimbo conversation is probably a longer one for another day because the like the frustrating part for AM fans has to be there's nothing to do. Like nothing's going to change between now and next year other than your recruits that hopefully you're able to retain. I'll be the watching the portal coming out of Texas A&M this offseason is going to be fascinating because I'm sure there are going to be plenty of people whispering in their ears all down this stretch of November about what could be next year someplace else. And I know people will talk about NIL and the money they could make there. At some point for a lot of these guys, if that really is part of the equation, you're going to be able to get that elsewhere and people are going to be able to sell you on an opportunity that right now Texas A&M does not have the results. to Like, it's one thing. I think a lot of people looked at the quarterback situation there and thought maybe a year away but to recruit that much talent and to be the first SEC team eliminated from the potential bowl season isn't a flatly unacceptable result that has no answer again because you can't do shit to Jimbo right now he's untouchable well and Jimbo's not the head recruiting coach he's the head football coach like I understand how much curtain means to college football we all get that but at some point, you can have the best talent in the room if you can't make them a talented football team. Like I just, well, There's such a disconnect. There's such an interesting way to think about them, though, relative to what we see at Georgia right now. Because we could argue, I'm not going to get into, like, I'm not demeaning Stetson Bennett when I say this. Stetson Bennett is a national championship winner. No one can take that away from him. He's a very good college quarterback. But we've seen Kirby jettison legit. Like Justin Fields was there and he was gone because Kirby's like, no, I got guys in here that are better. It was Jake Fromm then, but he's got a type. It's the old school Alabama type of, I don't need to have a future top five draft pick in my quarterback room to feel like I can go win this. I can build this plane out of freaky defensive talent, guys along the line of scrimmage everywhere else. And if you're Texas A&M, you've recruited those areas as well or better than anyone. You might not have the depth built up like Georgia yet, but for that to be the thing points back to like Jimbo was brought in as the quarterback guy. And when that's the failing, it feels different. Kirby was brought in as the defense guy. And we ended last year with maybe the greatest defense college football's ever seen. And so for that disconnect, even if the models look the same, when your specialty is the area that seems to be the failure on offense, you get looked at even harder. 
Well, and, and stick with Georgia's defense for a second. Like, Georgia's defense restacked so quickly that we're not even talking about Stetson. When's the last time you had a quarterback that was having a good year on an, on an undefeated defending national champion that's not even in the conversation for the Heisman, right? Like, the fact that Stetson isn't – like, we'll sit here and put a running back in at the Heisman before we'll put Stetson in because nobody really believes in the guy because now it's like, well, it's just Georgia's defense, right? I, I mean – it's pretty wild the ability that Georgia's had just to restack the cupboard, and, and now they feel like Alabama did for years. doesn't matter. Every year, they're going to be just fine. It, to your point, it's because it feels like they're so well-coached and those guys are so talented. If you look at the A&M side, if A&M needs to beat you, how do they do it? And, and when you don't have the answer to that and you don't for that team, man, it, it doesn't feel good. Like A&M, in a year where the entire West is down, A&M is going to have to look in the mirror for a long time because I would make the argument, same with Ole Miss, if you didn't beat this Bama team, the hell you do? Like, what are you doing? I, I mean, we're sitting here saying Lane Kiffin deserves a bigger job with Auburn or wherever else where he can win a national championship. Well, you just had the chance to beat an a or an, an Alabama team that is amongst the le- the leaders in college football for drop passes, for penalty yards, for penalties overall. Like, this is an undisciplined Alabama team, and you couldn't beat them, Lane. So, like, it's the West is all going to look in the mirror and say, really? Like, LSU? Oh. Man. By the way, if I'm Lane, I'm not leaving Oxford for Auburn. Like, no, I I understand Auburn is a good job, but right now, if you're Lane, south of Mark Stoops, there's not a better situation in the SEC. You have been made a king there. You have shown you can go in and overhaul your roster if you want to talk about a portal team at a place that's going to love you, let you be you, and had very few expectations going in other than the ones that you set last year. And I don't think it's going to be a place that runs you out of town if you have a bad season or two mixed in here. Auburn, We all see what's going on there. Like Auburn, Texas, these places where you've got booster factions that are at war over the control of the football team make it, yes, a job that someone is absolutely going to want to jump at and coaches are going to. I'm just saying Lane has it pretty good right now in the place that he's currently at. But we don't, I don't know what his appetite for more is because he does seem like a guy that's itching to get back to some of the places that he was before his fall at USC. But here's the thing. If you're Lane Kiffin, and, and look, I never want to spend somebody else's money. But if you're Lane Kiffin and you're making whatever, $8 million, $9 million, whatever he's making in Ole Miss, I don't know off the top of my head. But we know that Ole Miss can pay comparably to most jobs in college football. So you're making comparable money. You can make a couple million more and go to Auburn and deal with all those headaches you just wait and mentioned. Or you can stay right where you are and you can wait until the absolute perfect dream job that you could not resist. You can wait till Bama comes open. And then you're like, yeah. look, I want Bama's job. Like, because to your point, and we watched this with Les Miles. I'm not saying Les Miles was a great coach at the end of his career, but Les Miles won 90% of his games at LSU statistically and got fired because he couldn't beat Alabama, right? Like, mm-hmm. you go to Auburn, if you are Lane Kiffin and you go to Auburn and you lose to Alabama, people are going to be calling for your head in two years. In Ole Miss, you could lose three, four games a year every year, and as long as you're relevant and entertaining, people feel like you got a shot nobody's calling for your head. Like you're in the perfect situation where you're low stress, high dollar. Like I wouldn't leave Ole Miss for that. There's no way. It's just a reminder of how different coaches are wired than the rest of us because we all look at those situations and go, hell yeah. Meanwhile, you got Mark Stoops this offseason getting pissed off when people rightly call Kentucky a basketball school. Like That's the kind of pride that these guys have in what they do and how that they're perceived. Coaches are built different. That's why we see them go back from TV in ways that make fundamentally no sense to the rest of us.
that, yeah, you don't want to be called a basketball school, beat Vandy. Like, what an atrocious result for a school that's trying to convince me with all the fun. They put so much money into that stadium, into those facilities, into that coaching staff, and then you lose to Vandy? Like, come on. You are a basketball school, Kentucky. Wow. Wow. Yeah, no, I'm throwing shade. I'm throwing shade. Like, all three Kentucky football fans might at me on this one. Like, Kevin Richardson of the Backstreet Boys is about the only one I know of. And the, 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 rest, of them, the rest of them all jump ship. They're, they're like, they're on to basketball season. And it's it's amazing too that now you're going to be talking about a post Will Levis world very soon for Kentucky as they've touched some ridiculous heights in the last year. And and by the way, Will Levis is supposedly a top five pick in the NFL draft according to every one of these mock drafters that I'm looking at. Like people trying to justify Will Levis going in there. Let me ask you, Mike, if you had to bet your house, you know my common analogy. At you know, we'll bet your dad's house. You, you got to bet your dad's house on Will Levis leading a team to a bunch of Super Bowls. Does he feel like that guy right now? Like, I I don't know. So I've talked with some people, with a bunch of people on this. Like, the problem with this year's quarterback class is going to be, and as we're talking about this, like, I, I do want to touch on the Heisman a little bit here before I, I let you go as well. But when we talk about this quarterback class, Bryce Young is extremely small. C.J. Stroud taller but very much on the light side will levis has played in back-to-back offenses that are the flavor of the current nfl right now and he's a physical freak show doing it he's going to be very tantalizing in a league where we're watching justin fields and all those traits go to work right now where we just saw what everyone was able to make josh allen into like nfl's always going to be a place that's looking at those traits as super appetizing i think will's got some shit to him i think the loss of liam cohen as his offensive coordinator like again Rich Gangarello is a guy that's from a similar tree, but there's still a relationship that you had that was going in one direction with the weapons that you did in that uh, Kentucky offense that I think we underrated that change in the way that we assess them going into this year. But he's going to be a guy that's very viable on Sunday because he's doing a bunch of Sunday and has been for the last couple of years now. It's a lot easier for NFL people to transcribe that rather than have to worry about their coach meeting a college uh, offense halfway. Like I love Bryce Young, but I'm just – I don't know what NFL people are going to do with a quarterback that might be 5'10 on a, on a good day. Well, and this comes back to some of the things that we've seen with Russell Wilson, right? Like, you know, we just presume Russell could go anywhere, and, and I think it's a safe and fair statement to say, hey, look, it takes a certain type of offense built a certain way to make him as successful as he can be, right, with his size. I think that's a fair conversation. Uh, but when you start talking about, particularly with Will Levis, I, I think what's hard is that we, we draft for traits. We see teams all the time draft for traits now, and it doesn't matter how successful you've been, we draft for traits. It just scares the, the you-know-what out of me because like I'm looking across the landscape, and I did this on radio. We took a look at, at a 10-year period, uh, not into the current contract. So we took a 10-year period ending with the year that Daniel Jones was drafted, I think was the last one. Um, if you take if you take one year's draft out of it, the the great Patrick Mahomes ton of quarterbacks drafted yeah. that year. You take that year out of it, out of the like twelve years we found before then, there were only six quarterbacks drafted in the first round that managed to get a second contract. Twenty that didn't. So you start thinking about the numbers, like it's an unexact science. It's not very successful. It is, and I'll say this, like. For all the worries about Bryce Young size-wise, everything else is there, right? He has got so many fuck you throws in his bag. (laughs) 
<laughs> he has been in charge of everything in an offense that's got a bunch of NFL traits because it's a Bill O'Brien offense. He by, does, by, by, by the way, just uh, this is my reminder that we're on a podcast where you can actually say fuck you throws. Like, this is so freeing. I just want to be Cartman here where I'm like, fuck, 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 fuck. I'm not sure if there's a limit on that, but now that you've done it, I just feel I feel I feel it, like, you know, the, the spirit. It, 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 it's like old school shit, cock ball. I'm just making a point, Frank. You don't have to celebrate it. Oh my god, <laughs> no, but it's, you're, you're, it's so true. But but that but like that is him and C.J. Stroud. Same thing. Like people will do the Ohio State quarterback thing, but the guy's a mutant and he's throwing to NFL wide receivers. But like both those guys are incredible. It's just uh, Bryce Young's really the one that I'm most fascinated with because as we talked about in the last few years, getting away from that normal paradigm of how we do co- uh, how we do quarterbacks in the NFL, as we've talked about Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, some of these other guys here, he really is. He's not built as stout as Kyler or as Russell Wilson or anything like that. Even as Baker Mayfield, he's a lot more slight of a frame on a smaller body, but he is in full control of an NFL offense. And he's the only reason like Fitz looking at the Heisman right now. I don't know how you judge these things. I don't really like do the favorites thing because at this point by against all odds, I'm still somehow a Heisman voter, which is amazing. Like that's so like that's so stinking cool. Like there's just no like you get to vote on the Heisman. I'm so like you know I I just a you've earned it. B you deserve it. C you work your ass off and and take these things really seriously. So I, I commend you for that. All bullshit aside. But D like how cool is like just there's an energy. There's a just a. I don't know. I can say this now on it, this. There's a big dick energy that comes to like, hey, I get to vote on the Heisman. Like that's just that's just awesome. Oh, it's the it's the like the the subtle the subtle flex that I live for every time we get around November here and bring up these conversations. But like as we look at the Heisman race, one of the things in this crop of guys this year is yeah, CJ Stroud's gonna be in the mix. Blake Corum's gonna be in the mix as far as a non-quarterback and what he's been able to do at Michigan. But you also look at the way, and I don't know, I'd be curious for you how you judge and what your lens you view who a Heisman trophy can, contender is. If you look at Bryce Young and Drake May, if those guys were gone, these teams would be in shambles this year. Like they're just, they have been able to prop up so much about their football teams because around them, it's been so much less than what we've been used to that it's hard, even for Bryce Young, who won the Heisman last year on a team that was, you know, a national championship contender. That's not the same team around him this year, but you could argue what he's done is more impressive. It's like Patrick Mahomes without Tyreek Hill this year. I think for me, and I'm going to oversimplify this for a second. Uh, as always. But when you think about the Heisman, to me, it's the guy that you know what he's doing, you know how he's going to do it, you know exactly what's coming, and you still can't stop it because he's simply the best player in college football. And when I think about that this year, I think that there's a resonating case for Blake Corum because everybody, like, we spent all summer debating what the quarterback was going to look like for Michigan. Turns out it doesn't matter what the quarterback looks like for Michigan. And one thing we've seen on Sundays that we saw on Saturdays last year is Kenneth Walker III has been saving an offense. Like Kenneth Walker III got Mel Tucker paid. And I I guess I came into this year thinking, man, when you see it like that from a running back where everybody knows that Blake Corum is the guy you got to stop and you just can't do it. I'm not taking anything away from that offensive line, but you go up and down. When I've waited for that Heisman moment, as cheesy as it sounds, we've seen enough times where C.J. Stroud has been okay, but not great. And we've seen enough times where Bryce Young has, you know, the, the two knocks I'd say on Bryce, even from people I know that, that are around Alabama all the time. 
is that number one, you know, he's not the greatest at, at identifying uh, where the where the blitz is going to come from. He's not great with protection, and he holds on the ball so long to try and be Superman that sometimes it's just it doesn't help them. And we've seen that in these games. So like, I have a hard time when I've watched Hendon Hooker outplay Bryce Young, but then I watched I watched Stetson Bennett outplay Hendon Hooker, and like we've had all these opportunities for a Heisman guy to come in and be like, hey, you know what's coming. And you can't stop me. The only guy in the country that's consistently done that is Blake Corum. So I think the craziest part of the Heisman battle this year, Mike, is that we don't know who it is. Usually by now, we have a pretty clear, like you and I have worked on Heisman shows before. And you come in by now and you're like, okay, how are we going to make this interesting? This year, it is wildly interesting. I mean, I think you could make a, a case for Marvin Harrison Jr. being in the Heisman conversation because, frankly, he's the most unstoppable wide receiver we've seen this year. Like, you you know what's coming. You put two guys on him and a third guy trailing him. He's still going to get that ball. It, it's, it is amazing to consider that way. And you mentioned Hendon Hooker, who's rightly going to be in this conversation. Uh, we talked about Bo Nix. That loss this weekend certainly hurts their, his case a little bit. But the overall body of work, the thing I more look at with those guys is who is also getting help from the system. And you mentioned Blake Corum is going to have the conversation of, hey, he returned three of five starters from the offensive line that won the Joe Moore Award for the best line in college football. You're going to talk about Bo Nix, Kenny Dillingham in that offense do a lot there. There's yes. a lot of moving parts that help the quarterback. Hendon Hooker in the pace of that offense. On and on down the list, and I get back to Bryce Young is asked to do everything for a very NFL offense. And then I, I think for Drake May, I think a very similar situation for him. The other thing I think we're going to look back on as one of the true missed opportunities, and it's sad because it's because of injury, and thankfully he's been healthy enough to get back on the field. In the limited sample size, when Jalen Carter has been available for Georgia coming back after that knee injury against Missouri, when they put him down, and for the next few games, it was third down looks largely. They were trying to limit him early in the game. Almost every time you popped him on the field, it was some sort of game-changing play. It was a strip sack. It was a forced fumble. And if I, I... Last year, we all looked at him on that defense. And I remember talking to Chris Canty, the former Giants great, who I was working with at the time on ESPN Radio. And he was saying, yeah, and that defense, that's the best one. Like, that's the best guy on the best defense we've ever seen was 88, who was a true sophomore. I I think this would have been the closest that we would have gotten to, like, if you extrapolated what we've seen in a limited sample size, it would have probably been the closest we'd seen since Indomitian Sioux, as far as a defensive prospect having a legitimate, an interior defensive prospect having that opportunity. Unfortunately for him, it would take a full season body of work, to your point. Um, I think the other side of it is we've got a lot, like, Rivalry week. I just want to brag about the fact that I practice so hard to be able to say that. Uh, (laughs) Rivalry week is going to provide real opportunity uh, for for the Heisman this year. And I think more than ever, you're going to have voters like you sitting there glued to your TV waiting for that breakthrough. Like Michigan, Ohio State, if if one of the the two guys we've talked about absolutely goes off there, that's going to become part of their Heisman case. It's just, it's funny because this is the first year in a long time I think you could make a pretty stellar case against a lot of these guys based on one game here. Like the yeah, but person, the yeah, but college football fan is just being fed this year. And it's, it's, it's like nothing I've ever seen. We've been covering college football together now for what, six years. I have never seen a year where the, the, the nerd in the back that's usually me is like, well, guys, have you considered that guy is just pounding his chest every single damn week. And one thing we talk about when we did rankings reaction together, is that college football takes care of itself. And everybody spends every week yelling about it. Well, guess what? We just watched Oregon lose. 
somebody's going to lose in Ohio State, Michigan. And if that game looks ugly, all of a sudden, if Georgia turns around and kills somebody in the SEC championship game, we're going to be sitting in the same spot in three weeks saying, guess what? Chaotic college football took care of itself. The Heisman, I don't think it should take care of itself because I don't think it should be about what you did in that one game. It really should be about more. And you've mentioned Drake Drake May a couple of times. One of the under-talked-about stories at ESPN, I think we haven't done a good enough job all year telling the story of a kid that came in with huge shoes to fill that now has just not only shown that he can fill those, but he's better. Like, he's flat-out better than what they had. It's it's insane to think about that. So it seems like now that momentum starting to build for him. If I could wish it for one other person, it might be for Quentin Johnston at TCU. As we've talked about their story, Max Duggan has gotten the press. Quentin Johnston is the most important player when that offense is humming at its highest version. Kendra Miller is awesome, but there is one guy, if you were to probably ask opposing defensive coordinators, I would bet a lot that they would point to the wide receiver, Quentin Johnston, and say, man, when that team's on and truly dangerous, it's because we have to account for where that guy is on every snap you you know this and anybody listening knows this uh, when people call highlights they have crutches statements they use too much one of my crutches is up up and away every time a run, uh, wide receiver goes up for the ball the number of times I've said that for him this year I think we could do a whole rip of just a, you want to talk about a guy that uh, walks the magical uh, invisible staircase to get to the high point in the football uh, it's incredible to watch him also it speaks to one of the conversations we have at draft time every year. Like every year we sit there and have this debate. Do you pay somebody or do you draft somebody? And I said last year at the draft, I think we we learned that the wide receiver position is a little like running back. You only pay the greatest of the greatest of the great because otherwise wait till the draft, you know, and, and what do we see? And again, like we thought that Jackson Smith and Jigba being out would be some sort of a uh, absolute, like it, it would decimate Ohio State's offense. Nope, Marvin Harrison Jr. comes out and uh, styles and profiles all the way to, to being even better. Uh, you mentioned, Johnston, like another example. It feels like every year we are seeing more and more pro-ready, NFL-ready wide receivers that are just dominating on Saturday. And you look at it and say, that kid's going to be a beast on Sunday. Like uh, it, my humble brag is that I'm a Bolitnikoff Award voter for the uh, best wide receiver. And I think every year it gets tougher and tougher. Like I thought... Addison going to USC in that system was going to be a shoe in to just absolutely dominate everybody. And instead, we get circus catches every week from a handful of guys that are just unblockable, unstoppable, and do everything, guys. It's so true. You mentioned that too. Caleb Williams, another one, absolutely in the mix. Shame on me. At some point, we'll have to have you back here because the Pac-12 has become the most interesting conference next weekend in college football. That USC-UCLA game, a ton of juice now as USC's the last one remaining and there's some sort of Alanis Morissette irony in the fact that they are leaving and they are right now the last best hope for the Pac-12 to make it into the college football playoff. That's not lost on I mean, in a year where they got rid of divisions, I believe at this point it would take a ton of chaos, but we spent a lot of this year looking around saying, man, we could end up with USC UCLA for the Pac-12 title. We could end up with two teams playing for the Pac-12 championship that aren't going to be in the Pac-12. And that just feels icky. Like that just feels gross. But yeah, I mean, this is, this is the beginning. Uh, I said last summer that the most interesting storyline to me coming into the year was that West Coast football was going to be relevant for the first time in a long time because of Lincoln Riley and USC. I think it's taken a second to get there where everybody gives a damn, but Right now, everybody's going to be watching. A lot of fun, meaningful Pac-12 games in the month of November. Check out Jason Fitz, the college football show on Saturdays, rankings reaction on Tuesdays. Spain and Fitz from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio. And check out his gambling column hitting the uh, 
chalk part of the ESPN website each and every week here. Fitzy, appreciate it, buddy. You're the best, brother. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All right, Brandon, time to land this plane. You know what time it is. I know what time it is. No, that's the question I'm supposed to ask. You don't know what time mm-hmm. it is, or maybe you do. I don't know at this point because I haven't asked the question, do you know what time it is? I do, Mike, and so do you. Cause How did I uh, fuck that up caught... so bad? Yeah, it was, it was fine. You know, no worse than I fuck up stuff all the time. You see, I, I almost said that word, but I didn't. SH word. Um, but, yes, you called me out on being a little uh, horny. I think that November is a, a, a traditionally horny month. In general, and to stay on that vibe, sugar. Oh, honey, honey, you are this, that, and the third, and you got me wanting you, honey. Oh, sugar, sugar. You are this, that, and the third, and you got me wanting you. So, who sings that original song? I believe it's the Aggies, or the Archies, the Archies, the Archies, Sugar Sugar. 1969 it came out, Mike. (laughs) So, the only reason I ask is and i'm looking this up to make uh called sugar sugar uh, by andy kim and jeffrey berry or jeff berry so i didn't nitty sample that song for nasty girl oh so i remember it was honey i got a lot of money oh would you be my nasty girl and it was something like that. I thought. Yes. That, I thought. I think it sampled that song. No, you. I mean, it. I'm. Oh, I, well. F- uh, filibuster while this ad runs on YouTube, so I can. can, can but I have Nasty Girl Nitty pulled up right now, and I'm going to confirm. <laughs> oh man. I just, I remember. Uh, I just remember hearing before a song. It's a nitty beat. Right before it's uh, it's going down by Young Jock starts. No, no, no. Uh-uh. Nope, it's not. Nope. Okay, good. I just forced that one oh, in Oh, yes, no... it is. It is. It is. It is. It is. When oh, got yes. Course, All right. Got Redemption. I was worried that yes. I had forced this whole conversation for no reason off a sample that didn't actually exist <laughs> here. So this is a huge well, relief. <laughs> Look, this is one of the first times you've put me on to something. <laughs> I knew nothing about Nitty and Nasty Girl. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea why that song stuck in my brain other than the early 2000s was before I started hitting my head into 300-pound men and abusing alcohol. Uh, Download, subscribe, rate, review, Gojo, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. Uh, Let Brandon know what you thought of that one. Abusing alcohol wouldn't be the right word. I would say binge drinking because that happened in college a fair amount. Uh, Like Netflix. 
Let's get to this. Um, this actually uh, kind of cool and local for you. Uh, the number one high school basketball yes. recruit, DJ Wagner, picks Kentucky over Louisville. Um, he now becomes the fourth number one overall recruit to commit to uh, the Wildcats under John Calipari. And if their current recruiting cycle holds, it would be the seventh number one class since Cal took over at Kentucky. But this one had a very personal family aspect for Louisville, apparently, right? Yes, Milt Wagner, uh, DJ's grandfather, played for the Los Angeles Lakers and was one of the uh, one of Louisville's uh, legends around here. He's uh, on the staff currently with the University of Louisville. Obviously, they just had a, a, a coaching change, so they're kind of rebuilding from the, from the bottom, but. To lose a legacy like that, DJ War, uh, Wagner, it hurts for Louisville fans, Mike. I, I'm actually happy to see it because Louisville fans are the bane of my existence. Um, I used to be one, and now I understand the, uh, the delusion that comes along with it. But basketball in Louisville and in Kentucky and basketball, it, it's what we care about, Mike. It's like... It's like it's like Florida and football, right? Like well, it's just the ever Texas and football and high school football. Like everyone has their thing. Kentucky basketball and Louisville lost out on a big a big get, and now he is going to going to the the, the bad guys. Well, and going to rub. I, I didn't realize they hired Milt Wagner this May. Like yes, they weren't slick with that. This was a very no. clear overture as far as that. Uh, Kareem Watkins is Wagner's stepbrother is a walk-on at Kentucky, and he said that was a factor in all of this. Like anything else, I'm sure there were other factors in this. We know they're yes. just finished up a fight. Cal Perry is, is, is at the helm, Well, I mean, and, and this now, guy came from New Jersey. And now all of it's legal, so we love to see all yeah, that one. True. I'm not accusing Cal of anything. I'm just saying basketball has been a sport, sport rife with NCAA probes. Cal has vigorously denied all that. But we live in an NIL world now, and I'd imagine being a Kentucky Hoops player is a particularly lucrative position if you're a guy who's a top yes. prospect like this. Uh, hey, as the NBA is riddled and filled with Kentucky important players that used to play for Kentucky that barely even played at Kentucky, so uh, pay attention. Yeah, absolutely. It is interesting and worth noting. You mentioned the NBA. I was genuinely surprised that I was like, oh, okay, a number one player still going and opting for the college basketball route as opposed to G League Ignite or the Overtime League or any of True. these other ancillary things that have popped up as alternative paths to the NBA where you can start to make money right away. You do wonder if the prospect of NIL now changes some of that in how this is going to affect while we still have one and dones as long as that rule continues to persist. Um, Brandon, uh, let's go to that. Middle of the baseball season, we had our dear friend and Apple TV Plus baseball analyst, Katie Nolan, jump on the podcast. And going into the All-Star break, she's like, man, you guys are going to love Julio Rodriguez. He's going to be in the home run derby. He ended up losing to Juan Soto in that home run derby. Um, but went on to sign a monster contract in the middle of this season, a big-time extension for him that's going to keep him in Seattle for the foreseeable future and then some. Uh, Julio Rodriguez was named the AL Rookie of the Year coming off this season. Not super surprising, but definitely something we wanted to celebrate. He was one of the bright young stars in this baseball season. That Seattle Mariners team kicked ass and was a ton of fun to watch. Broke the postseason drought and was such a bright spot for that entire fan base out there that we know is one of the best and most passionate fan bases in the country. It was so fun seeing them uh, make the playoffs for the first time and all the social media videos and how important it was for the entire community. Looks like they have a lot to be excited for going forward. 
29 of the 30 first place votes. I'll wait and see if baseball Twitter does their witch hunt for the one player that avoided making him the unanimous pick for that because America's pastime has another pastime, which is people complaining a lot about the way that people vote on a lot of these awards. I guess that bleeds over into the NBA too, but Gojo's talking baseball right now. Um, (laughs) Brandon, let's get to the third and the story that I really care about. Uh, Chain smoking marathon runner. A Chinese Mm -hmm. marathoner ran a a three-and-a-half-hour marathon time all while ripping heaters along the way. The man is known as Uncle Chen. He's a 50-year-old athlete who has now accomplished the... um, Xin Yang is my attempt at pronouncing the name of this marathon on November 6th. Photos went viral of him on a Chinese social media app of him crossing the finish line. First off... Three hours and 28 minutes. He finished 574th out of 1,500 runners, which is insane. But apparently during the entirety of the race, he just houses cigarettes here. Back in 2018, he was crushing cigs during another marathon and finishing around that time. Other racers don't like the fact that a guy is just ripping heaters while they're all trying to be high-level athletes. Brandon can't get enough of this one. Like, obviously, kids, cigarettes are bad. Don't smoke them. All the disclaimers that we have to give out here. This guy making a decision that he is willingly going to hurt himself and the things that are most important during running a race of that duration and still going out and balling is, like, legitimate superhero shit. Yeah, Mike, I want to say you you spoke to the kids. I think it's important for them to hear. Uh, Cigarettes are bad. They're not supposed to be. They are bad for you. They kill you. They kill things. They kill people. They stink. But if you were born in the 90s, one hanging out your lip without touching it looks pretty cool. Cool as hell, So this marathon runners... I mean, this marathon runner, with, like with his with his athletic gear on, with that cigarette that Lucy just hanging from his lips. Like, I need to know the manufacturer. Like, I like it's like when Gatorade jumped on. Like, <laughs> they called it Gatorade. Like, I think <laughs> there might be Naturally, some kind of we called our stuff Gatorade. <laughs> like, there might be something in the proprietary blend of these cigarettes that could make some Ooh. money. Man, that would be a great way to hide the performance enhancers that you're using is to just take them orally by means of absolutely chugging a cigarette. Who's going to look inside your cigarette for some variety of a performance enhancer? That's next level. Five-hour energy cigarettes. (laughs) Is is this a thing? (laughs) Investors? Possibly? Because when I think 2022, I think people investing in big tobacco alternatives. From the tobacco energy alternatives. From the people who brought you four locos comes five hour cigarettes. (laughs) Oh man, Mike. Uh, This is a little bit too deep, but uh, there's a Louisville rapper, ESTG, and he famously uh, soaks his blunt papers in five hour energies before rolling them. And it's just a, it's just a level. Like maybe if you want that much energy, maybe don't smoke a blunt. That's what I'm saying. Like I feel like there are other things that you can take to give you the kind of energy that you're searching for that aren't in total. I get that there's a bunch of different strains. This isn't my first time I'm out around marijuana. All I'm saying Indica is Indica means in the couch. <laughs> 
We hope you guys haven't been all the way into couch while you've been listening to this podcast. Actually, you know what? if you have been, sure. I want. I wonder how we pair with marijuana. At Kojo Show on Twitter if you've ever <laughs> tried it out while listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed the experience, download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. Make sure you check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well under the Gojo with Michael Jr. tab. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. I'm tired of you.